Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Editions, and today we have a near and dear to my heart show lined up for you. Um, Ryan Quinn is one of my best friends in the world, uh, a would-have-been groomsman at my imaginary wedding, and just a beautiful, intelligent light in every room he walks into. Um, He and I worked together for a number of years at Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, and he, along with his wife, Katie Hartke, and I started a theater company together in New York City called Esperance theater company that does classical and contemporary work. Um, Ryan is also a fabulous MTCA monologue coach, along with that same said Katie Harkey. This is another one of our artist exploration episodes where we'll look at the college process and what carried forward into the career of some successful artists today. Um, I'm really excited today because we're beginning a branching out of our paths uh, where we're going to start discussing some paths that are not just BFA MT arrows pointed straight at the Broadway bullseye. Um, As we know, and we'll continue to explore, there are a lot of different ways to reach that goal of success and a lot of versions of what success looks like for different artists. So in the coming episodes, I think you'll start to see some more diverse paths, as well as some fun and different career choices from our guest artists. At least that will be our goal. Um, Here specifically, we get into a a common different path, which is not so different for non-empty actors, in getting a BA and then getting an MFA in grad school. Um, This is much more common for non-musical actors than for musical theater majors, though not I've heard of, not unheard of, I should say, for MTs either, as you'll see in an upcoming episode. Today with Ryan, uh, we get into finding and following your bliss and the value of a good community. Uh, We talk about getting a BA, a liberal arts major and a double major in theater. Um, We talk about failure and resilience. Uh, We talk about how access has made the world smaller and how it's made maybe our students a little bit more on point, as Ryan says. Um, And we talk about catching the damn football. Uh, Upcoming next, we have Quinn Gordon uh, and the first of our non-musical acting schools in the wonderful North Carolina School of the Arts. This is the first, but not the last, acting majors, I promise. Um, But let's get to the interview with Ryan. Okay, well, I am super jazzed to bring on the great Ryan Quinn um, on the podcast today. Ryan is an actor and a director, as well as a fantastic teacher for MTCA. Uh, Ryan has a BA in theater from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and an MFA in acting from the Yale School of Drama. Uh, He's worked off-Broadway at places like Second Stage, 
to Fauna Bedlam. He's worked regionally at the Old Globe and ART, Portland Center Stage, among many others, and many years at the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, where he is currently calling in from, so a currently working artist at the moment. Um, he's been on TV in things like Blind Spot, Madam Secretary, Friends from College. Um, he has many directing credits, um, including right now he's directing at HVSF. Um, he's directed at Milwaukee Rep. He's directed at NYU. He's also the artistic director and co-founder of Esperance Theatre Company, along with the wonderful Katie Hartke and myself. Uh, last year, he taught first-year acting students at Carnegie Mellon, um, and he's also an all-star MTCA monologue coach. Rye, welcome to the pod, my man. How are you feeling? What's up? I'm feeling great. This is amazing. Um, I got to bring you around to be my hype man before I go everywhere. <laughs> I, feel, I feel inflated right now. I have to warn you, Rye, throughout this pod, we are going to both hype you up a lot and at times embarrass you. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a roller coaster ride for you. I need an even, even dose of both. So I'll take it. I'll take it all. Um, as our first, you are our first artist um, with that beautiful MFA, first artist that we've had on the pod, uh, non-college faculty style, even though you also now are college faculty. Um, but I'm going to take us through this journey just a little bit differently um, than how we've done it previously with, with guest artists in that I'm going to ask you some of these questions about your undergrad and then some questions about your grad. So hopefully we'll kind of nimbly dance between the two. You can let me know if you're ever like, wait, I don't understand and which school I'm answering this question for. Please do let me know, but I'll try to be clear as we're going. Um, but I'd love to start, let's take you all the way back and imagine that 16, 17-year-old Ryan Quinn. Um, yeah. And just imagine like if you had been precocious enough at the time to kind of have a mission statement for what you were looking for in a school, what do you think it would have been way back then? Uh, I, I think back then, I, I don't, know if I'd even form the idea of like what a mission statement was about like that kind of came in the development of later on like knowing what my dream actually was I think if I had to parse it out honestly one of the baseline levels was just fun mm -hmm. right like just finding and following following my bliss right and, and figuring out what that was like even when I went to undergrad I didn't know I had an idea of what I wanted my major to be I had an idea of where I was going but like two years in I was like really just taking the classes that I loved. And I think then the other thing um, that has gotten more defined as I've got older, it was being in the right community. I think the people that like really challenged me, but also like that I just loved and enjoyed being around, like um, whether it was playing sports or whether it was being in a show or whether it was just like hanging out at, at schools, like being in, in that community that just made me like myself, like feel like myself, you know? And did you know then that you would want to be a theater major or did you know theater was going to be a part of college for you? No, no, I was going to be a lawyer. I, I wanted to be a politician. Like I, um, I, I say to my students now, had I been like the Obama generation and that would have been happening while I was in high school, I for sure right now I would, I would be, you know, some community organizer somewhere. I feel like huh. that's where my trajectory was. I loved acting, um, but I'm from Wisconsin and we have, you know, great great regional theater there, but I, I, I saw a lot, but it was all community theater. And I didn't really understand that you could be an actor and not a movie star. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't understand that it was like a, um, uh, a career in, in that way. And so, no, I didn't, I didn't have ambitions about being a theater major when I first went to undergrad. Okay. Now we're going to begin jumping back and forth. So now s skip ahead to now you're applying to grad schools. How might that have shifted in terms of your mission statement, in terms of what you were looking for as you applied to grad schools? 
So I think my mission statement when I went to grad school um, is that I had developed an acting process that I think was allowing me to feel more like myself. Um, but in undergrad, um, I felt like really free. I, I was, I felt fearless. I felt fearless in, in undergrad mm -hmm. in, in terms of theater. And I wasn't feeling that when I got out and in the jobs that I was doing. Um, so again, going back to, I think that, that first idea before, I think it was a community that would allow me to fail and not crush me. Mm -hmm. Um, but that would also like really challenge me and, and give me the, the, the tools for a lifetime of being, uh, an actor. Um, or a lifetime of being an artist and to be surrounded by people that would also provide me um, all those challenges. Um, do you remember your audition for Yale? Oh, for sure. Do you have any good like audition callback stories? Well, here's the thing. I don't even know if you know this story. I first met Katie in my audition for Yale. Oh, you do know this story. Yeah, so I remember <laughs> it very well. That's my wife, also MTTA coach and um, co-founder of Esperance Theater Company. We tried to do Katie in a little parenthetical. We couldn't do it. It was like a, like a triple parenthetical. <laughs> also the mother of Zoe. Also, the, you, know, you had to throw a lot of things in there. I mean, there's no, I mean, we, we, need, we need a much longer bio to get all her wonderfulness <laughs> in here. Um, yeah, so I, I remember uh, I remember very clearly that audition. I remember people that I met. I remember conversations in the room that were happening. Um, uh, my dear friend Brian Terrell Clark was also in that audition day with me, and he ended up being in um, being in my class. Like like clear as I remember taking the train up mm -hmm. to um, on the Metro North up to New Haven to do it. I was in the midst of rehearsing Midsummer Night's Dream that. Katie was also in. So when we first met that first day of rehearsal, we were like, wait, were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was you. And, um, I started all, yeah, clear as a bell. Um, any good audition stories, anything that we, in the auditions themselves, any like challenging things they asked you to do? And, or do you remember what you did in your audition? Yeah. So I, what I would say, I for sure remember what I did. I did, um, uh, went to stun from Macbeth, mm. uh, act, act one, scene seven. And then I did a monologue from, uh, oh shoot, Cornelius from, what's the Thornton Wilder matchmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So just a, a sweet little piece there. Um, I, two things that were really big takeaways for me from that audition. One is still a question that I often ask my MTA students when I first meet them. If, you know, uh, Walton Wilson, the, the, uh, voice teacher asked me if I could do a season of Ryan Quinn, what shows would you pick and what would you want to play? And, uh, I loved getting that question because it, it kind of baffled me at the very beginning of it, but like it led to the, my, like just the best conversation that I, that I had with him. And he got to know like what I was into and what I, what I liked. And so I still use that. The other one was the call at that time, the callback happened that day. So like you went, you auditioned, you had to wait to the end of the, the section and then you got your call back and then you had to wait along for till the end of the day. And then those people went to like this three hour callback. Um, and I remember in the callback, we were working the Mackers piece and Evan, you knew this, who's the, the head of the program at the time, gave me this note and I didn't quite know what it meant. I just knew that she wanted me to release more and be a little bit more free. Mm. And so I, I did it without worry, that exact thing that I was like hoping to do, just like not care. And at that time in the middle of the audition, I wasn't holding on tight to trying to, to get in for some reason. I had this idea of like... I get to have a masterclass with Evan Unulis mm -hmm. and Walton Wilson. Like I get to do it. And I actually felt it and meant it. It wasn't hyperbole and I did it. And I can remember just seeing her face and being like, okay, I got you. And it was just, <laughs> it was just wonderful because it, it I, I wasn't trying to, 
do something. I wasn't trying to give her what she wanted. It was more of like the feeling of how she wanted me to be in the in the room, even without specifically understanding like what she wanted in the text. Oh, I love that. Well, we're definitely going to dive a little bit more into some of those um, deeper conversations as we go. But um, I do think that idea of if you can put yourself in that place of learning as opposed to showing off, it is so... Yeah. It's so it's so nice, both a way for you to kind of have status in the audition room because you're going, I'm getting something out of this. Um, but also it's what teachers, of course, are looking for because they love to teach. Yeah. Hard to do. I mean, it's uh, like, you know, it's that battle of putting yourself in that place. Like sometimes you have the idea of wanting to do it, but, you know, it's the nerves that get in the way. So it's mm -hmm. like actually the the years of prepping the mentality to get there. And that, that time it just kind of felt like his man. That's so true. Okay, so mission statements aside, you ended up at Wisconsin-Madison. Um, in a few words, just tell me what was that experience like for you? What was the four years um, there? For me, it was beautiful because I got to take classes in everything, right? Um, so I got a, a real a liberal arts education. I fell in love. I was an English major first, and then I got to take philosophy and psychology. And in the midst of it, um, I did uh, I did a, a show at one of the community theaters there where there were a lot of theater majors there. And um, I got to know them and they had um, getting to know them. I was like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can do this in the program. Let me, let me, let me audition for it. And I did, mm -hmm. and I got in. And so then I became uh, a double major in theater. And the great thing that happened for me when I was there is that uh, because I, I came late, I got to take all those classes right in a row instead mm -hmm. of like a normal BA would have to spread them out just a little bit more. I got them all in a row. And they also have a grad program there that it's once every three years, but we got to take classes with some of the grad students and seeing their dedication mm -hmm. and seeing their um, kind of focus in the work uh, like really, really uh, changed for me and made me know that this is what I really wanted to do. And did you know, right when you graduated, did you know you definitely wanted an MFA? Or do you think I'm graduating, I'm going to go be an actor, I'm done with school? No, no, I didn't. Um, I, I didn't know until a few years later. I started, uh, there were kind of two things that happened, but I, I, I won't tell both those stories, but the one that happened, I auditioned for a show after I was out and um, I couldn't do the show and I had to call the director to tell him. And we didn't know each other from anything besides the audition. And he um, spent like 45 minutes on the phone with me mm -hmm. saying that these are the, the steps that I think that you should take and these are the programs that you should start to look at. And I'd been thinking it already, but that was really the impetus that, that mm -hmm. like spurred me to be like, yeah, next year I'm gonna do this. These are the schools that I'm gonna start to research and um, I'm gonna start to talk, talking to people about it. But that, that's the, it was somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of, a teacher that kind of gave me that little boost. I love that. Um, okay, now let's jump forward a little bit. So you've, you're into Yale, you're at uh -huh. Yale. Um, give me like, in like three-ish words, um, what was the experience of being a Yale School of Drama student? Uh, exhausting, beautiful, mm. and uh, <laughs> everlasting journey. Exhausting, beautiful, and everlasting journey. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful, I love that. That's a great motto for for Yale. It's kind of a, just a motto for life, too. You know? Yeah, I mean, everlasting journey in that um, I feel like you get you get a roadmap there that you don't actually know what the destination is, but then as you go further in life, you look back and you're like, oh, I understand exactly what that is now. Mm -hmm. Like ten years later, I keep coming back to those those moments in class where things weren't connecting. And they always said, it's going to take 10 years to make an, an actor out of you, right? And those things just start to, to click as I, as I get older. 
Okay. Are you ready for the first of two and a half games that you and I are going to play on this podcast today? I hope so. <laughs> this is yes, probably I'm, the only I'm game. ready. I'm ready. There was a twinkle in your eye that made me think maybe I'm not ready for this. <laughs> this is not the hard I game think game. I'm ready. This is probably the only game yeah. where you can actually like potentially win or lose. It's a numerical game. Oh. But the goal is to get as many answers as you possibly can in responding to the grad school flashback round. Got it. All right, ready, Charlie? Six seconds on the clock. Go. Favorite show you did in school? Uh oh my god. Um uh oh I'm failing. I'm <laughs> failing. Um well, the one that I watched is Brother Size. Okay. Hardest class for you? A uh, clown. Did you kiss anyone in your class? Yes. Were you a messy roommate or a clean roommate? Clean. Something on the dorm room wall that you remember. I didn't live in a dorm. I lived in uh, housing, but um, uh, a, a, a calendar, dry, dry erase calendar. Worst fashion choice you made in grad school? Uh, uh, pants that were like big bell bottoms that Wesley Fada told me to take off and throw in the garbage. Most consecutive hours awake? Probably 30. Um, ever possess a fake ID? No, wait, I take that question away. Ever stolen from a campus shop slash party? No. Um, do you ever cheat on a test? No. Um, farthest character from your age range that, range that you played? Uh, Harmon Wilkes. School alumni you wanted to be when you grew up? <sighs> we realized after the first question you were not going to win this game. So that was just, we were playing a scrimmage at that point. That first one hit me up. That was a hard one. Yeah, the other games get worse and more embarrassing. So don't, don't you even worry. I don't even remember what I said. You said a lot of great things. But, and at least one of those is my fault. I, I asked you a fake ID, but you would have been after over 22. This, so I have to adjust the game more. I didn't, I have a sample question that I was pulling from randomly and that was not, not good. Not good. Um, and you never lived, worked, lived in a dorm room, huh? First year of grad school, you guys just lived in apartments? Yeah, we lived in apartments, yeah. I mean, in uh, undergrad, for sure. And what, what was the hesitation of favorite show? Could you not think of a show, or were they all of your favorite? I couldn't think of names. Like, I, I was picturing people that were in them, and then, um, but the, <laughs> my two favorite moments were not shows that I did. It was seeing Dance the Holy Ghost um, and seeing Brother Size. Like, mm -hmm. those, those were transformative moments of of watching and to take it back it. to our mtc mtca as we always talk about of being in the mocks the transformative mm -hmm. moments often come from from watching like you've built all the things that are there but like you're not required to do the work for it but they change me I, I keep coming back to watching those actors and to and thinking about that direction in those those two playwrights and um they were two beautiful moments for me at school. We don't need to turn your failure in this game into a learning experience. You can just live in your failure and just smell it on yourself and just, you know, you know we don't have to like turn it into a beautiful lesson or anything like that. Great. It'll be a Great. sensible plug for a mock though. <laughs> um, slightly slower look back at the school days. Yeah. Um, if you now could go back to Yale School of Drama as you've, as you've done at my alma mater and taught at Carnegie Mellon, um, if you go back and teach at Yale School of Drama, what class do you feel like you should teach that maybe was missing while you were there? Oh, that was missing. So I don't know if this would be the class that I would go teach, um, but I think the uh, class that I think should be um, uh, a bigger part of curriculum is improv. Mm. Like I think those, we get games and we get clown. And I think those are extremely important. We even got circus. Um, but, I, but I think like more, more improv classes, I think would be really helpful. And are you thinking like specifically comedic improv or just the idea of being able to improv like you might do on camera? Just that idea of, of being able to go back and forth. Um, I think maybe like, you know, um, Second City stuff, but but I think more of who are those two guys that do the really long, long form improv? Like yeah, we're, TJ and Dave, you think? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that where you're really responsible um, 
for having that other person be so necessary in creating the the world that you're living in. I think mm-hmm. that habit and that muscle um, it really translates to just about everything. What's maybe the biggest thing you take away from those years? Like, what are you so grateful that you had in school and now have under your belt as a professional actor? I, I think the two things were, um, like, I mean, really honesty, failure and resiliency. Um, mm-hmm because those classes were hard and some of those days were hard. And, um, you know, uh, one of our community agreements that started for this show for the Tempest that was originated by the uh, first cast, Miss Martha on our, on our board as we come in is uh, it's not hard because you're not good. It's hard because it's hard. And I think that was, that took me a, a, a while to get that when it was hard and it wasn't working, uh, I, I quickly started to feel that, you know, you're not good enough. Right. And, uh, but it was nice to be in that, to kind of be, to, to find the resilience of, of coming out of it. And then I think the other thing, um, to be honest is just a blueprint, right? Um, Evan said one time, you know, trust what, got you into school and trust what like got you into these rooms like you 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 have moments of of really great success like you're able to do it what we're going to do is show you how to do that more often right and um and i think that's right so when things aren't working for you you have a process to go back to to figure out how you can get to those moments where where it can start working for you again so that the, the frustration of not being able to figure out like you have, you have a way to work through it. Those great answers. What, is there anything that you feel like you wish you would have done differently in school? So if you could kind of go back and coach, you know, Ryan as he's entering grad school, is there anything you'd be like, do this more, do this less? Yeah, I, I think the two things um, that I would tell myself, the first one goes to that idea of resiliency. It took me a minute to get there. Um, and I probably didn't get it to, to actually really feel it um, until some time in the middle of my third year. So that was like, that was all... It was a long time to kind of be in and out of that. Um, And then I think the other thing, actually, I have three things. Um, So the other thing is, you know, I was at Yale, but I spent 99.9% of my time in the drama department. Like I didn't really Mm -hmm. utilize the resources of the university and people had told me to do it. And I just didn't like, I was like, where is the time? But you know, there's always time to be made to kind of to, to, to do that. And I think that that would have been really interesting for me. Um, the one thing that I, um, one thing that I'll, that I'll add onto it, I started dating again, Katie Harkey callback a month or, you know, a month or so ish before I started school and we made it all the way through. Um, so I would tell myself, you've got the right one. Um, you know, uh, take your time with that and develop that relationship as well. Cause there was something really nice and beautiful that we felt like we earned it when we got out of school, but in the midst of it, when school can feel overwhelming and it's the only thing it wasn't like mm-hmm. life and a relationship that we were building for the future was as important, not only for myself as a human, but for my work. Right. Mm-hmm. And that happened alongside of the painstaking stuff that was happening in school too. Oh. Beautifully said. Okay, we're going to take a really quick break. Um, and when we come back, Ryan Quinn will attempt game number two. And this will be the tough one. We'll see. Um, we'll be back in a second. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're back. Now, this is a game that is a little bit less about winning or losing, but a little bit more about me either embarrassing or hyping you up in turn. We'll see how this goes. All questions will be related to shows we have done together. Shows you and I have done together. And I'm just going to say, I do know that Ryan has like a phobia about names and remembering people's names, even people that he knows very well. Oh, please don't let this be about names. <laughs> just a tiny little bit. <laughs> it can be about character names, not people. It's mostly about oh, characters. Please don't. I, I get nervous. I'm going to forget. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ryan, if guys, for those of you who are not watching the video, Ryan has visibly started sweating. There's like sweat pouring down his face. He's comedically wa- wiping his brow with an old school handkerchief. <laughs> Okay. Are you ready? Yes. In one of the first shows you and Charlie did together, Romeo and Juliet at Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, Charlie played two pivotal characters. Yes. Can you name both of those characters? Yes. Tibble and um, the uh, Hamlet was, he was named Hamlet, but he was also like the... I forget what his like real name in the show <laughs> was. You remember the fake name, not the Hamlet the Night Watchman. That's Hamlet exactly the Night Watchman. I, I, <laughs> did you see me bringing in a lantern? For those of you that can't, I I, I uh, gestured a lantern. Hamlet the lantern I did not character. Think you were gonna remember that. Oh, I did no, not. I, I thought we needed to phone a friend somewhere on that. <laughs> no. All right, great. So you've gotten you're one for one. You're doing fantastic. Yeah. Okay. This is an impossible question to answer. More of a chance to hype you up. You and Charlie played brothers in yep. King Lear at Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival. You were, of course, brilliant in the role. Of all of Edmund's fantastic and famous lines, Uh can you guess what was my personal favorite Ryan Quinn line reading slash moment? Hint, it is not a famous line. Um, I I think it's the one that I met. Is it the one that I messed up every night that was like, go, come, come, go, go, when I had to get you out and I never got them in the right order? That would be my favorite. (laughs) No, though I did consider trying to ask you if you remembered those lines. I don't. I I never remembered them. Not once in a performance. No. My favorite moment from you, and this is really just because I still think about it to this day, was you, I'd be like way off stage because in Hudson Valley, there's like a deep, deep um, backstage sort of, which is the river. And you saying, when you're like challenging everybody at the end for the fight, you say on him, on you, who not? And you would like, shriek who not like a basketball player who just dunked on an entire stadium and it was so good it was like a kobe like he can't guard me he can't do it. like it was such a moment like i still have chills every time i hear it i still i'm like i want to steal that moment let's who not let's go you know it's so crazy i don't even remember that line and i love that i don't but i do very much feel like 
that's how I felt at the end. I did feel like Giannis looking at the camera after I just dunked on Chris Paul. <laughs> that's what it was that. like. That was it. The flex. Okay. Jumping forward a little bit to some Esperance moments. Yes. We had so much fun doing our first show of Twelfth Night, especially yes. the music. Yes. The amazing Chopper Jacobs and MTCA's own Carl Howell did a bunch of beautiful arrangements. Yes. For 1 million podcast points. Oh my gosh. Do you remember your harmony to the chorus of the opening song? <laughs> For those who can't see Brian's face right now, he's begun rolling his eyes very much. I'm going to sing you the melody for reference. May we all fall down. Oh, I, I remember the nursery rhyme that they had to tell me so that I'd remember it. Uh-huh. All fall down. I can't. I can't do it. Oh, Three come on, ride right. mice. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. My MT students, you can kill me for this because I, I, you know that I can't. I can barely do a nursery rhyme. I kill bedtime with Zoe, but the rest gives me phobia. I, I just have Im- images of you like coming up to my shoulder, being like, "What is it? <laughs> Hold on, I can. I got it. Okay, what is it? Okay, last embarrassing question ever. Yeah, yeah. For our most recent Esperance production, this is a get of a question. Yeah. Bright Witch Farm by the amazing Jeremy J. Camps. Yes. My character ran for public office. Mm-hmm. What did the campaign sign we used oh. on stage say? Fight for you? No, oh, fight. Oh, so close. I believe it was Foyt for you. Oh, Foyt. We're looking Foyt. The Foyt. character name was Jimmy Foyt. Yes. Foyt for you. Foyt for you. Very, yeah. very close. close. Partial credit. Partial credit. Yeah. All right. Now your favorite question of the podcast. Okay. Your Milwaukee Bucks yes. are currently winning the NBA Finals 3-2. to two. As are. we record this on Tuesday, July 20th, Game 6 is tonight. By the time this podcast airs, it will be all over, baby. Here's a chance for 2 million podcast points and to look like a genius if you get it right. Yeah. Nostrarinus Quinn. Bucks in 6? Yep. Bucks in 7? Mm-hmm. Or a heartbreaking Suns in 7? Bucks in 6. No hesitation. No hesitation. They're coming home. It's over tonight. You're it's calling your shot right now. It's over. Yeah. I'm going to say Bucks and Seven, but let's see. Bucks and Seven is a much, that's, that's the that's the um, the outlier of all of them, right? I'm going to look like a genius, I think. Yeah, I think right. that's what's going to happen. Okay. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your professional life. So I'm going to do this in kind of two different chunks here. Maybe we can talk a bit about that moment when you graduated at 22, especially from some of our students who maybe graduate with BAs. Maybe there's not a showcase moment and kind of what that's like moving to New York City and figuring it out. Um, and then we can talk maybe a little bit about the difference um, after your MFA experience. Yeah. When I when I left Madison, by, by, that, by that point, I, um, I, I knew that I wanted to be an actor. I went to school then with a lot of wonderful actors that, that I love. And one of them was Heidi Armbruster. And we at that time, uh, we did a few grad school auditions. Um, I didn't know anything about the the process then. And uh, I didn't get into any of the schools that I was, that were my targets, but there was this program in New York called GATE um, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, But that brought me to New York City. I mean, I I kind of knew that I was going there anyway, and my sister had just um, gotten into um, Columbia. So it was like a perfect way to come into New York. So I came into New York already having a home base for uh, like a one-year like a one-year conservatory. And it was beautiful for me because I was getting a BA that I could just do theater all. And I was ready for, by that time I was like ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I still go back to a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the lessons that, that I got there. Yeah. And 
So tell me a little bit, what was that early moment in New York City? Maybe even as you're, you're graduating from that and starting to work, um, how did that work for you? Um, you know, as a, as a 23 year old, are you doing survival jobs? Are you, how are you sort of figuring yeah. out and navigating that time? Yeah, all of it. Um, it was the, the hardest time, I think, in my life from moving from somewhere where you constantly have things that are set up that your um, survival actually became something that I was thinking about. So like survival jobs were actually survival. Like, how am I going to pay the rent? And how am I going to like, um, what meals and what things are going to happen at, uh, and how much money I'm going to have for these things. So that that first, particularly probably the first two years in navigating that and what jobs I could get and um, how much time I had, all that stuff was, was really hard. And then it wasn't as hard. You start mm-hmm. figuring out and navigating. Uh, all that stuff. I wouldn't trade that. Those I was just talking about that with a younger actor in the in the cast uh, of the Tempest cast. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was really hard. I lived with Jeremy Camps. Did you know that? I do. Yeah. Oh, you did know that. Um, but the podcast doesn't, so you could maybe tell. Yeah. So right. Jeremy Camps, who um, wrote Brightwish Farms for for Esperance, and who's a brilliant, brilliant playwright. Um, he and I kind of moved to the city at the same time, and that we lived in an apartment. I won't say where, but in New York City. Uh, in, a, in a rough neighborhood, and um, the we lived on the in a fifth floor walk up. And the fourth floor was abandoned, and because it was abandoned, there were there were rats that lived there. And sometimes in the morning, when we'd come down from the first apartment, there were like like mm-hmm. rats that we'd like walk by to to get out. I mean, awful. I didn't tell my parents that until probably five years after after it all <laughs> happened. But that was like we I I. I'm also going to tell this story. Uh, also, when I when we moved there, we had no furniture, like none. Like we were just like these, you know, just these kids. We had no furniture, and there was some stuff coming. But I had like no bed for a little bit. So for two weeks, I slept on my clothes in New York oh City while God. I was going to class and getting my survival job all set up. Again, didn't tell my parents that until probably five years later. Like, I, and and like we didn't have like lamps. And so like, I was, um, you know, I was trying to be like, I'm a starving artist. So like, I'd have like this little like flashlight and like reading Langston Hughes. Cause I'm like, this is like, I'm, I'm living it. Like this is, this is my idea of what New York city was, was like reading Langston Hughes. And, and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that and sleep on my clothes and, and figure it, figure it all out later. Yeah. So cool. And now how might that be a little bit different from now you've graduated, you have an MFA from Yale and now you're coming back to the city, um, potentially seeking work in different ways. How, how did that experience feel different from you those years later? Uh-huh. Like just uh, reversal, right? So one, I was coming out of school, um, moving in with my then girlfriend about to be fiance. Uh, I knew ahead of time I need to get survival jobs set up. So I was already doing that at the end of, um, oh, I was actually going right into a show. We did we did Midsummer right after that. But as that was happening, I was getting the survival jobs set up. We had a, a showcase. So like I had already met tons of casting directors. And so like auditions were already happening even while I was in a show. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, the show closes and then you don't have what the next thing is, but like, I was set up with a survival job. I was set up with, um, housing. I was set up with, um, a unit of community that I'd already developed for my time in New York. I had the Yale community. Like it was just, you know, the hard thing was just like the hard thing is now when you're not in a show, you want to be working Mm -hmm. on a show. So those things are, those things are hard, but the rest of it was you know, I, I, I had learned how to navigate that aspect of my life. And I imagine Katie did not let you sleep on clothes. No, we were, we had, we had a great, we actually live in the same building 
that we live in now. I live in Chris so Edwards, who directed us in Romeo and Juliet. We were subletting from him. So amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything just educationally? I know you're doing so much teaching and so much working right now. Is there anything educationally that you're doing to kind of keep your personal artistic growth moving forward? Or are you taking classes or anything that you're kind of working on to keep your own uh, um, self-fueled? Yeah, I've a little bit. I mean, what was great about working at uh, Carnegie last year is now part of their curriculum is taking classes in anti-racist uh, theater models. And so like I was able to, to take a bunch of those classes and um, mm. um, I work with Bedlam a lot. And so through them too, we've been taking a lot of classes. So I've been trying to, uh, to develop that aspect. Um, and what's beautiful about it is just the, the language to kind of to describe experience that I think hadn't been in our zeitgeist or our, our actual like vocabulary and how we talk about shows has changed. And that's been um, eye-opening for me. And, you know, man, this is cheesy, but I feel like at the wonderful thing about being a teacher is that you're always learning. Like, con like you're constantly in that mindset of, of trying to pick up and, and mm -hmm. learn. And, uh, and I do feel, I do feel like I, I'm able to get myself into that state all the time. And uh, right now I'm, you know, I'm directing The Tempest, but in that show are Kurt Rhodes and Nance Williamson, who are my idols. And mm. so, like, I'm, even though I'm directing them, I'm learning from them constantly about what the show is, about what it means to be an actor, what it means to be an artist, constantly. Well, let's get into that uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll do our second ever MTCA Coach Corner. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some of your experiences, what you've learned from coaching specifically. What's maybe one thing that surprised you about this process in working for over eight years with your students? How on point they are from jump. Like I, I try to think of myself as being 16 and 17 or 15 sometimes. And I am constantly awed by the conversations that we get to have from the very beginning. Um, and I think part of it is that the world has become um, uh, smaller <laughs> because um, I didn't have an email address when I first started college, right? So like things have changed. There's this thing called the internets, I think you guys have heard of them, um, that, that I think that access to information has, has like, I couldn't watch Broadway shows, right? Like I, I didn't, I didn't have access to who those actors are unless I was really, really seeking it out. And that, that just wasn't where I was at when, when I was that mm -hmm. age. So I think it's that, um, but also just a combination of, um, I don't know. I feel like something has, has changed with the focus of young people that are coming up and uh, them understanding the sharpness of, of, of moments, like, conversations about not just what it means to be an artist but about community and empathy and like all of these big big things that i, I wasn't talking about until my late 20s um i get to have conversations with them about and um they're 16 you know it's pretty incredible well that leads me so beautifully to our next question which is just um what's something that you maybe have learned from your students and or what is something that maybe you think they know better than our generation knows um, you know, what's something where you go, actually, you are more advanced than we are uh, in this. Yeah. So I think what they know more than, than I had any kind of idea of is a sense of where they want to be when they're in their forties. Right. I feel like they have a, uh, 
a stronger picture of that, which just makes it really exciting um, to talk to them when I when I first meet them. Um, and I don't mean just like I'm going to be in a Broadway show or I'm going to be, um, you know, uh, a series regular on this TV show. That that's part of it, but just the I- idea of how they want to live in the world by starting to put these pieces together right from the very beginning of how it is that they want to work. That mm-hmm. came to me much later, and I feel like they they a lot of them know it at at sixteen. What's something you would go back and maybe coach your younger? self, so your younger coach self, maybe six years ago, um, to do more of? Is there something that you've kind of learned from yourself as a coach to improve on? I would be more involved. I would take myself to New York City. Um, I would take myself to like, to LA. I would travel more. I would go to more museums. I would read, like, I would um, encourage myself to engage in artistic endeavors even more. I loved doing it, but I wasn't forward footed in it. I just did it because mm-hmm. it was there. And um, I, I think even saw part of it as like, yeah, culture is good instead of like understanding of how it how it fills the well for everything. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. A little, couple fun questions. This is our half game maybe. Um, what was your favorite note to give me as a director? When you were directing me, what is your favorite note that you gave me? Throw me the cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay and was there ever a note that you felt like you couldn't give me because of our personal relationship but you were like i wish i could tell him this i would tell him this but it's too difficult um no because i feel like i feel like we have a relationship where i could th- there isn't that note that i couldn't give you that you would know that i'm not there was nothing about your character or your like that I have full belief in you as a person and an artist that like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be coming under that. So no, I, I didn't, I don't feel like that. I feel like I could be very ca- candid in everything that we were talking about. That was mostly just a question for you to get you to hype me up in that way, which is, I couldn't agree more, but also something I'll throw back at you, which I, I think is, as you're finding community, I think is such a cool thing that you and I have been able to find in that ability to switch hats in so many different roles, yeah, including potentially varying statuses if someone's okay now ryan is my artistic director okay now ryan is my director in the show okay now ryan is a coach working under me like those little moments to be able to go back and forth it's a a really helpful thing um i think for a healthy relationship to be able to be in different relationship to the same person and yeah so i feel yeah i think it's that idea about like satellite leadership right it's like figuring out a way to constantly give space and give room. Right. right? This, like that's this what person is, is. Right. This person is not the role of higher status than me right. always in life. They just, in this moment are holding the mic and then it's got to get past here. And then, yeah, I think that's that right. is such a healthier way for us to live in the world. Can we sure. go back to throwing the cup? Can we explain to our listeners what that is? It seems like a little inside joke in pe- between you and Charlie, but partly a little well, technical, I think. Well, yeah. So we, we played Toby and Andrew and I'm directing the show, but I'm also in it as Andrew. And so I told him to throw the cup to me so that I could intentionally miss it. So I was telling him a direction to set me up for a joke. Um, And and I don't think he knew that I was going to miss it when I first did it. And I saw him look at me like, oh, you sneaky sneak. Um, so that was my favorite one because like, it, it was like both like Charlie and Ryan, like acting in the scene, but also Andrew and Toby acting. It was, it was on all levels and it was like my favorite thing about being in a, um, in a company together when, when those things happen. 
I feel like it me- makes me want you to tell the story of Chris Edwards too about um, the field goal too, because that, that immediately also makes me think of like Three Musketeers when I would get a knife thrown to me every night, and I, it's like whatever you do, you can't drop this knife. <laughs> was the direction I was given? I was like, okay, I'll try. But it was like thrown from like thirty feet away, and I was like, I have to catch this every night. I have yeah. to do it. Um, and that same director, please, if you want to tell that story. So I was in it with Chris. I was playing. We were doing two gents here at Hudson Valley with Kurt Rhodes, who I also mentioned that I get to direct right now. He was directing me, and Chris and I were Valentine and Proteus. Um, but there's this huge, big um, field at Hudson Valley. Um, that often like we, we come back over at the top. It's an uh, outdoor theater in a huge tent. It's just a glorious place to do, to do shows. But at the top of it, we played high school or high school football players. And at the top, we'd run over and we'd have an actual football that would be thrown and set. And I was the, I was the, the field goal kicker. And I would go through and I would kick the field goal over the, like, like over the tent. And one day, like I kicked it like directly into the tent on like a, like on a dress and Kurt like runs out to me at the, the coach and he was just like, <clears throat> it's like a free throw. It's like a free throw. You just have to relax. So I was given that, like, I could tell that he was just like, don't ever kick this into the like tent. You'll kill somebody. Then later on in previews and, and performances that the way that that scene would end is uh, I would run out into the, the field. And Chris would like throw me like a Hail Mary pass. And I'd, uh, once I started to feel like, start feeling myself, I'd, I'd let it go a little bit. And then I'd run and try to like catch it and dive. And every once in a while I'd miss it. Cause that's what happens. Like it's, it's a game. You miss the ball. And um, I end up in a live performance as like, I'm this young actor, like trying to like figure out how to play this lead role. I come around the side waiting for me when I come back in there is the director who was also in the show. Um, He's waiting for me and he says to me, you have to catch the football. The show, the show just gets off to a better start if you catch the football. (laughs) And that was it. It's like catch the ball. Like the note was catch the ball. The show is depending on you catching the ball. And I was like, okay, okay, coach. Yeah, I'm in. Um, one or two questions in, in contemplation. Yeah. Um, especially now having some some view into the collegiate world uh, um, from having um, taught at colleges and of course having taught with NTCA, and then also as a professional. How do you feel like the industry is changing in this crazy year of 2021? So where do you think we are going from here? What's it look like five, 10 years from now um, if we continue making these, these shifts? Um, yeah, we're at a, like a radical moment of change. And I think it's really beautiful. And uh, um, I, I, I think what has to happen is um, the work is starting to be more, uh, to put it, I think in its simplest terms, human focused right Mm -hmm. instead of like work focused and um and i think if it is human focused the 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 product will actually be better and so just reevaluating the systems of how we put on a play are changing right like 10 out of 12 pretty soon i think are going to be a thing of the past the six day rehearsal like I think is slowly start to go so that you can, as you're going to feel in a, in a moment, like have a family and have those aspects of your life that you can bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like on a broader scale, but we're just also reevaluating as we were talking about like hierarchy before, like just this white male centric idea of like what a workday looks like and who should be filling all roles across 
across the board. Mm-hmm. And um, as we were saying, is creating space is that there just has to be more space because true excellence is when more people are in the room and are more people are able to collaborate and there's more context that's that's brought into each and every experience and that context is including your life outside of whatever that whatever show it is that you're working on and i i believe i i feel it right now in the rehearsal process that we're in right now um uh and i felt that in um other theaters as they as they get ready to to reopen i, I think it's going to happen and I think the other thing with that is, as, as we're starting to, to reopen, I um, uh, we just got the the mandate um, uh, in the beginning of July um, that for the show, and I think it's probably happened other places as well. But for us, it's a big deal. Audience members can take their masks off. Mm. The first shows that they did for Miss Martha, they couldn't, mm. right? And so the actors were just talking about we can't there's no exchange. We can't feel like what the show, even if you hear a laugh, you don't know where it's coming mm-hmm. from. So in that true beauty of communion that happens in theater, it's not happening. And I think we've really missed that chance to commune with each other. That thing of like why theater is the second oldest profession, right? Of like why it is that we, we need to be around and, and live in that world. And I think once we get it back and we start feeling that with this kind of idea for human focused work, I think a change is going to have to come. I love that. Um, if you were now talking to either a 17-year-old looking at BFA programs or maybe a 20-something-year-old looking at MFA programs, um, is there any advice that you want to throw them as they're kind of beginning that journey? I think it comes back to those two kind of core values of, of empathy and community, right? Of really figuring out the job of the actor or the job of the artist is to be an exceptional listener right it's theater's the great empathetic teacher and if you're able to dedicate yourself to that right all these other things will start to open but the process feels like it's going to take that away from you the Mm. process wants results your art is your person and that's really hard when you get no's but if you lean into that and like keep finding a way to open your heart to keep listening and learning the world is going to come to you. It was such a pleasure having you on the pod today, Rai. Um, is there anything you want to plug? I know you have some things coming up show-wise. Um, and then also if you want to give us, I know you're not like a huge online person, but any ats or, or places to find you on the internet, um, we can do that too. Yeah, come see The Tempest at Hudson Valley. Um, I think it's going to be uh, lovely and wonderful. Um, I have no of the the socials to plug i was going to be like yeah check me but i i honestly i don't even know what my instagram handle is oh my god um, at ryan allen quinn we even looked it up here, here. there you go um on instagram uh, and twitter you'll see some pictures of my daughter um <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no the, the tempest is coming up uh and uh the mountaintop at arc stages in, in pleasantville i think that's also gonna be pretty pretty dope though, for people who are on, on the east coast amazing and these are both directing jobs for you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cool. Um, well, a huge thank you to you, Rai. It was it's so nice to have you. The on. best. I love you, man. I love you too. More soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing Ryan Quinn as much as I enjoyed seeing his beautiful face. Um, I just want to take a second and uh, um, go deeper into something we talked about today, um, which I'm actually surprised we haven't brought up before on the pod, which is that idea of the importance of failure. Um, and finding a place that will 
let you feel comfortable failing. Um, it's a TPAP motto. They always talk about failing forward, which I really like as kind of a phrase. Um, but I'm going to torture a different metaphor for a second here. Um, the way that, you know, I always make athletics um, versus artists metaphors of, you know, athletes as artists and artists as athletes. Um, I think in the same way that an athlete's goal in working out is to work to the point of failure, in a lot of ways, that should be a goal for artists too. Um, so it's very valuable, I think, to find that safe and brave space for yourself to be able to experiment and play with high stakes and maybe in those high stakes moments, make mistakes that you can learn from. And maybe to tease this analogy even a little bit more, the goal of what you're seeking artistically isn't failure. The goal in the work is in the work itself. So the same way as an athlete, your goal might be to lift that weight uh, a little heavier or to run a little bit faster, right? You're reaching actively for that goal, but you are still working to the point of failure, right? That your work, you'll know your workout has reached something if my muscles are actually tired. And in some ways, us artistically tiring out our muscles means taking those risks and potentially actually finding failure. So sometimes there's actually more value in being like gloriously wrong in a rehearsal room than in kind of being safely right. Um, and I think anyone who's kind of been in a rehearsal room, you, you felt that before we go, well, that choice was interesting. Didn't work, but more, I learned a lot about myself from, from trying that and going to that place as opposed to staking kind of within your comfort zone. It's hard, harder to grow um, from that place of a comfort zone. So something we look for in school for sure, finding that right gym for ourselves. Um, but I think also really important to seek out of school as artists as well. Um, I think you'll note from this conversation, the many playgrounds Ryan has sought for himself and the curious way he's been able to live his artistic life. Not devoid of failure, but constantly in process and constantly seeking artistic growth. So the same way athletes will build those stronger muscles by failure and the resting and the rebuilding. Um, I think that can be some of the goals for us as artists too, if we can find those right gyms. Um, I'm literally heading to the gym right after this. So forgive me if that metaphor is like, I'm really forcing it, but I'm trying to pump some irons after this. That's why. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, maybe at the gym yourself, I love listening to podcasts at the gym and you want to hear more, please hit that subscribe button. Um, we'd also love it if you were to rate and review us where you found us. We suggest five stars if you have sure hands with a football and ironic five stars if you're more of a Butterfingers. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, you better pay attention in your callback auditions. You might just meet your future partner there. See you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.